That was actually a really good dog. That's a really good dog. <laughs> I uh the the, the that, that's specifically my uh friend's um now dearly departed husky Rasputin. Oh, uh, I should have recognized. Rasputin, yeah, Rasputin had a had a had a sort of they're trying to have him not howl all the time. Mm-hmm. So he would compromise by doing this sort of thing they called rooing, which is him <laughs> going that is very much husky. I I want to sing, but I can't. I know it's yeah, not appropriate to fully I must sing. sing the song of my people, but the song of my people will get me back in the crate. <laughs> Pretty much. Hello, and welcome to episode 127 of Rhythm Encounter, the RPG Fan Music Podcast. I am your host, Mike Salvato, and today we are talking about music of the year. Um, but thankfully, I am not alone today. I am joined by three wonderful people. Uh, first off, we have Hillary here. Hello. Um, also with us is Mike Solosi. Uh, we're borrowing him from Retro Encounter. I think you meant to say two wonderful people and also Mike Solosi. No, I meant what I said. Aww. <laughs> and Pat Gann is here as well. Hey, everybody, let's rock and roll. I mean, if we're doing a big music episode, like, we gotta have Pat, right? So, yeah, I'm really excited about this. Um, it, obviously, we haven't done our written music of the year feature yet, but it's it's gonna happen at some point. But we wanted to get this out soon. And uh, there was, boy, there was a lot of games in 2023. A lot of great games to play and um, a lot of solid music. So, if you've listened to our show in the past, you know, sometimes we... We have gone incredibly overboard with music of the year. Uh, as 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 much as we enjoy a good fifteen hour uh, podcast on music, we're we're going to do a little less today. Um, but because it's music of the year, we still bent our traditional rules a little bit. So uh, everyone got to pick three songs today instead of two. Yeah. Um, we're just going to try to to rein in our commentary a little bit because we want to be able to get through like our twelve songs today. Um, but not make you listen for hours and hours at a time. I, I understand the like, like wanting to be to, you know, be brief. But I don't have a lot of faith in our ability to be brief. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm at least gonna. Be, I am gonna be brief on my commentary on all of your songs because my thought here was, you know, I want. I'm gonna write out notes about why I picked mine. I think that's what we all did. You know, we ha- we should have like at least our own reasoning for our songs, but then I I encouraged us all to be brief on everyone else's. And personally, what I decided for myself was um, all of my notes on all of your songs, I limited to 10 words. (laughs) Uh, I was, I was going to do 10 or less, but it was, I ended up being exactly 10 on all of them. You're already Uh using way more than 10 words on your meta narrative explanation before we even hear a single note of music. (laughs) I know, but I'll get there. Don't worry. Oh boy. Okay. You don't have faith in me. Not really. <laughs> okay. Thank you. No, this is this is going to be a, a two and a half hour, uh, very entertaining listen that I'm excited to take part <laughs> in. But but you like like at the top saying we're going to try and make this quick. Me, I'm just rolling my eyes real hard right now. All right. So with me today are two wonderful people. <laughs> and <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. All right. Maybe, maybe we start over from the beginning. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, let's get into it then. Uh, we're going to start with Pat. Uh, Pat, you have three songs that you decided are your music of the year. So 
where are we going to start? All right. Well, the three songs I picked, I pulled in one of the world map themes from Octopath Traveler 2. It's called Toto Haha. Um, I picked a song from the indie darling visual novel that came out at the end of this year, Slay the Princess. The song is called The Apotheosis. And if you've ever listened to the Journey soundtrack, you'll remember that same song title uh, existed on that soundtrack. And then uh, last and certainly not least is a special new arrangement uh, of the song Celestial by Ed Sheeran, which was used in Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Uh, The new arrangement is a remix by Toby Fox, uh, composer and creator for Undertale, uh, for the new uh, end credits that uh, runs after you complete the DLC, which that DLC uh, Indigo Disc came out in December of last year. So it just barely made the cut. All right. What a, what a combo of musicians on that one. All right. Well, let's go listen to Pat's songs and then we'll come back and talk about them.
Well, holy heck, those were three fantastic songs, at least in my opinion. I agree. Um, you guys enjoyed those? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. a little bit of a uh, variety of tones in these three. Yep. <laughs> I wouldn't say you exactly have a type pet. No, I, I didn't want to try to theme at all because there was just so much music uh, this year and so many great games. It's like, I think uh, part of me honestly would have just picked three songs from Octopath Traveler 2. Um so um, Toto Haha, uh, despite being a funny name to say, uh, is to me it's it's one of the most powerful pieces of music in the game, and it's one of three forms of the same song essentially. Um, it's also the character theme uh, for um, Ochet the Hunter. Essentially, it's it's variations on the same theme. Um, I think I talked about this uh, when we did the spoiler cast episode. Um, with uh, Zach and Alana earlier this year. Um, but um, composer Yasunori Nishiki opted to, alongside most of the tracks being recorded in Tokyo, uh, he had the opening theme, the character themes, and the initial world map music, which is they pair with the character themes, um, recorded at a studio in Nashville, Tennessee called Ocean Way um, that I've actually into recorded in and it's it's a pretty famous studio if you know uh you know music that gets recorded in nashville it's it's pretty happen in place and um they got an incredible uh set of musicians to do the recording um and when you listen to like the choir vocals that come in behind uh the instruments on toto haha it's just um it's, very powerful and you can notice if you listen to the whole ost you can notice a difference in like um sort of the overall vibe of the recording um it it feels a little more open it doesn't feel like um essentially what we would call um session recordings which is what happened with the japanese ones almost certainly uh you give a click track and you bring in one or two musicians at a time and they each record their own pieces um, but Ocean Way, they were doing ensemble recordings. And so you get this, like, uh, you're, it's almost like you're in the space with them uh, for a concert, but it doesn't have, like, the large concert hall echo or reverb either. It's, like, the perfect size of a room. And so I love all of the character themes and the early world map stuff. And I think among them, uh, I gotta say, Ochet's theme and Toto Haha, both day and night versions are fantastic. Um, okay. Breezy? Nice percussion, cool whistling, great sense of adventure. <laughs> no doubt. I'm good on the percussion. The percussion is definitely true. Yeah, the, the um, percussion sort of evokes island music a little bit because, I mean, Totohara Haha is a tropical island sort of in the middle of the Octopath Traveler 2 map. But um, I wouldn't say this is like a stereotypical island song. Not at all. And it, 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 it really is, has a, it has a sense of, it has it has a grandness to it that and a and a like a, a, a I mean maybe a sense of traveling <laughs> because that you would associate with a map theme, but it has notes in it that that hints that this is maybe not a deciduous forest with a uh, with castles and small villages. It, uh, it it's true to the character of Totohaha and Ochet, with all but also a sort of a uh, like a, a a big world map theme and not a 
this is a tiny island world map theme. I was just going to say, you definitely get a little bit of a sense of grandeur from it, which I appreciate. Yeah, they didn't they didn't let the scale or the scope fall. And I think thinking about them, thinking about the music in the context of the game, which you were talking about, Slosi, is very important. I think Yasunari Nishiki does an incredible job with that over and over and over. Um, I've recently been digging into the Champions of the Continent soundtracks for the mobile game. And um, a lot of that is just rearrangements from the first game, which I'm like, yawn, sigh. But the original stuff he's been doing for that also really helps to flesh out um, some of the new areas that they're doing uh, in that game. And so I just think whatever he puts his mind to, like he makes something really special. And I, yeah, I think Totohaha like isn't like, yeah, it's the island theme, but it's not. It's not like this cute little novelty thing. Like it's it's memorable. It's powerful. Yeah, yeah. The the Octopath games. I mean, the first one had a map shaped like a pizza, with each slice being a different biome. Right. Uh, while while in Octopath Traveler two, it's still eight distinct biomes, but they're uh, they're arranged a little bit more uh, in more geographic sense. But Nishiki's soundtrack uh, really contributes to the care to the character and uh, and and tone of each. Of the of the settings that make up Octopath Traveler two, I, I think Nishiki is an indispensable part of of the the series. I say series, although it's only two games. But uh, why Octopath two is so excellent and the world feels so distinct is the uh, is the soundtrack. I mean, I mean, I, I love the both of the Octopath Traveler soundtracks, and yeah. I think that the second game is like um, maybe even outdid the first. <laughs> He's in it now. He's tied with the series for sure. Yeah, I yeah, he definitely is, and I and I do think in every way the the sequel's an improvement um you know anyone who who uh had a chance to look at that top 25 of all time thing that i did um there was only one soundtrack from 2023 on that list and it was this one and uh so yeah this is easily my soundtrack of the year um it's probably also my game of the year i'm not quite sure but yeah, probably. I really love this game. I love HD2D, and of course, I love the, I love the music, and uh, love the stories, love the characters. All right, let's uh, move up. Uh, Slay the Princess. Um, wow, what a wild game this is. Um, the soundtrack is definitely, in some ways, not uh, as impressive. In some ways, it's it's more functional than anything. Um, I know in the the game review that we have up. Uh, you know, this phrase was used that the voice acting was the star of the show in terms of the audio, not the music. And I th- and I, I agree with that sentiment. Um, but Brandon Boone, who is a composer that's generally new to games, has done a lot of composition for other media, but is new to game music. Uh, he, he did the soundtrack that's essentially many, many variations on the same theme. Uh, there's a couple of other uh, distinct melodic themes but across 50 sound, or 50 tracks, it's really like 30 of those are variations on one theme, which is the princess's theme. And Apotheosis is one of those. Um, and if you play the game, you know why that is. Um, but this term Apotheosis is kind of like the concept of like um, the introduction of divinity or the birth of a god. Um, and I think the the... When people, if you said game music plus apotheosis, you're going to hear the Journey soundtrack. And that's that uh, song near the end when you're climbing the mountain. It's sort of the climax of that game. Um, and apotheosis uh, is one of the many songs featuring Amelia Jones, 
the vocalist who uh, first gained notoriety in game music by recording on the Hollow Knight soundtrack. Um, and she's on maybe a dozen tracks for Slay the Princess. And her vocals here are just uh, really awesome. This is one of the sort of more powerful uh, themes uh, from the soundtrack. Um, you know, there's percussion here, whereas there, there's really not a lot in the way of drums in a lot of the rest of the soundtrack. Um, and uh, in the context of the game, which um, this isn't an ending sequence, uh, it's sort of one of the ending chapter sequences, and it's uh, kind of hard to find. Like, it's a very easy miss. Um, like, it's kind of a shame that you have to really know what you're doing because it's it's semi-buried, but the moment in the game where this occurs is freaking awesome, and everyone should play this game. Uh, so when you hear this song, you'll be like, oh yeah, like it, it adds a layer of depth to it if you know uh, what's happening in the game at that point. I was definitely... I think struck most by the by the vocals for sure in this one and it it I remember reading the re- review actually and what you'd said about the soundtrack and definitely found myself agreeing in the, in that it does create an atmosphere but I think this track sort of shows that even if that's what you're going for you can still have these really powerful moments yeah, and I always I do appreciate. I'm breaking my ten word rule because I'm not contributing enough. I'll still read my ten word thing, but uh, I definitely appreciate a song that can be used like in only very very specific circumstances, and it's like kind of hidden. So that's kind of cool that that's part of it. And I didn't know about the uh, Hollow Knight connection on the vocalist, but that that would explain it because I really like the vocals on this one. And most of the Holly, Hollow Knight vocals I'm familiar with are Hornet going Shaw. In- <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, uh, have not played Slay the Princess, but after I read a little bit about it and heard, uh, the fellas talk about it on Random Encounter some weeks or months ago, I immediately wishlisted it because this is a real weird, dark, subversive narrative game that is kind of more effed up than you think going in, probably. Like, and it's, it's, it, they're subverting fairy tale ideas into a true horror adventure game. Um, and this track really does feel like the opening notes to a classic horror movie. Like I, I, I this is it, it, it's it's sinister, but also uh, but also has you know some energy to it. Like you, you know, like, I don't think this would be out of place in like a Tim Burton soundtrack, mm-hmm. or I, I should say a Danny Elfman soundtrack. Yeah, hey, yeah. I that's that's actually really astute, and I think that's right on. Um, yeah, the the horror element uh, to the game is, is very interesting in the way it all plays out. Um, there's definitely, it's not just dark, but I think in some ways, if you really, you know, get deep into it, like, I think there's a fair bit that you could argue was controversial about it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a powerful uh, game, and I think the soundtrack fits it very well. Um, if anyone wants sort of a, a tour of what I mean about variation on the theme, by the way, um, and the album's free to stream on a variety of services. Um, there's this song called The Shifting Mound, and it's parts one through five. It's actually the name of a character, but um, those are all featuring Amelia Jones, and they build over time. And if you just listen to those five in a row from start to finish, uh, you'll get a real good sense of what's going on with the soundtrack. And Apotheosis actually, it's the same, it's the same bass melody and definitely fits I was going to well. say, there's a direct connection between that series and this one right 
Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it's almost all of it is you just listen to the first or no track two of the album, which is just called the princess. It's that melody. It's, it's, it's incredibly simple and it's incredibly effective. I think people who do variation on a theme very well are worthy of praise. You know, Hamamutsu did it with the main theme of Saga Frontier 2. He probably put that in 15 places and the soundtrack was better off for it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I've spoken briefly with the composer, Brandon Boone, and I can't say too much, but they're working on like an extended version called the Pristine Cut in 2024. And there is going to be additional music uh, and uh, new versions or arrangements. And I can't say anything more, but if you like the apotheosis, you're going to want to keep following uh, this game to see what happens because there's something very cool on the horizon. Oh, nice. Yeah, actually, that, right. that's a good point. That's a good time actually quickly to mention that our in our show notes for the uh, episode, we have links to all kinds of things. I actually did the links already for this one and uh, Slay the Princess. You can actually listen to the whole thing on YouTube and we have links in our show notes. So check that out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, so the last one I picked, um, I, I explained what it is. It's a remix to this, you know, acoustic pop song that um, Ed Sheeran made for Scarlet and Violet uh, back at the end of 22, um, which I was super psyched about at the time. I still think it's a great song, but uh, though it might not be as sort of earworm, catchy, enjoyable, I think I ultimately like this Toby Fox remix more. Um, and for me, that has everything to do with uh, the way Fox reordered uh, the the basically Ed Sheeran singing parts. Um, so a reordering of the lyrics and the performance. The entire chorus of Celestial, as Ed Sheeran wrote it, got cut. You can't find it anywhere in this remix. Instead, uh, Fox builds his own chorus out of parts of the first verse and pre-chorus of, of other verses. Um, I, I have not done the homework into this, but th- are you implying that Toby Fox heard the lyric rinse and repeat and then rinsed and repeated it several times in a new chorus. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I actually, I don't know what's going to go up first between this and my review of the Indigo Disc DLC, but I have, I have a working theory that might be a little controversial about why Fox chose that lyric uh, as, as his new substitute chorus. Mm. Oh, oh, is it, is it a meta commentary on um, how Pokemon has not evolved as a, as a game concept? in uh, the intervening almost 30 years. Yes, yes, I, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, sounds... Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I wonder if the, if the thing here is, is was Toby Fox being subversive because, you know, Sharon's song Celestial was this sort of song about life is hard, life has this sort of rinse and repeat, getting stuck, getting lost vibe to it, but sometimes something breaks through and it's magical. And if you watch the music video for it, it's basically like all these Gen 1 Pokemon in their old original design that like run around London with uh, Ed Sheeran and and life is great now. And I feel like this version by Toby Fox is is more like, wait, which part of life is boring again? And that's a dark thing to put at the end of the DLC for the, the ninth gen game. I could be totally wrong, but this is the vibe I got from it. And it's weird because I still really like Scarlet and Violet, even with all of its flaws. But I also thought there was just something very 
uh, yeah, just sort of very, uh, I don't want to say cynical, but very like dark and uh, subversive about uh, what Fox did with this arrangement. And um, I mean, clearly Toby Fox is still a fan of the series. He, he has contributed original compositions to Sword and Shield and Scarlet and Violet. Um, yeah, he did the Battle Tower music in in Sword Shield, and it's yep. a it's a bop. Yeah, and the stuff we're not confirmed on everything he did for uh, Scarlet and Violet yet. Uh, we'll know in February when uh, three whole soundtracks are being printed on February twenty seventh. Uh, they're finally Sword and Shield will be published, Legends RCS will be published, and Scarlet and Violet will be published, and it's. That's a total of 14 discs of Pokemon music, and yes, I've already pre-ordered it. Um, <laughs> of course you have. I'm, I'm super, like, I haven't been collecting much, but I've really liked these recent games. However, I think there is there is a problem with, with what this series is going through, and so I could be reading into what Toby Fox did with this arrangement, but I don't know. I think, you know, the guy who created Undertale, kind of in the, in the spirit of both sort of, like, earthbound and also like his you know designs of all those enemies feeling very like heartful and like very genuine pokemon and like like it's pretty well known that junichi masuda the creator of pokemon and toby fox like have a very friendly uh working relationship because you know game recognized game they have something similar going on there as sort of like one man studios at least back in the day um you know, the original Pokemon was maybe more than 10 people. Um, and same wow, with really? Undertale. So it's, uh, there's, there's this sort of kindred spirit thing going on there. And I wonder if Fox looks at all the, all the stuff going on in modern Pokemon and goes, ah, oh, they're missing the point, you know? And then you sing, rinse and repeat. I get lost. I get stuck. Like what the heck? Like that's, I don't know. I, and it's a it's great arrangement to listen to. I've listened to it like a hundred times. I rinse and repeat that one in my playlist. <laughs> well, I, I think that view of Pokemon is a commonly held one, at least among older fans. And, mm-hmm. and the four of us are in our late thirties or early forties. That's a um, good point. <laughs> and and, and uh, basically, once you've played several Pokemon games, you you know you really feel the patterns, and you uh, and you see how little the series has evolved in some aspects. Have evolved. But the uh, and and um, it's it's very easy to take a cynical view, but it's also still like the be- one of the best selling and biggest money making franchises in any medium in history. So it's like for some re- so it's it's still so popular and still sells so well in spite of its uh, lack of innovation, and that's very frustrating to fans that want innovation or that love Pokemon and wish Pokemon could be something more than what it currently is. And and I I actually like Scarlet and Violet more than most Pokemon fans. I, I think it's my favorite generation of Pokemon games since the DS. Uh, but it, it also has so many technical shortcomings and, um, and is extremely similar to previous games in some ways that are frustrating, even though I think it has really good character work, really good soundtrack, um, good open world ideas that they didn't fully execute on. But uh, yeah, yeah, I I, um, I think this arrangement is lovely. But I I also am I'm curious as to how deliberate uh, or or how subversive Fox wants to be with this arrangement. Yeah, and we may never know. But right. it's it's uh, it's if it is, then it's it was a wild thing for him to do it. 
And, well, and it's fun to speculate on that, on top of the fact that, from what I could tell, like kind of looking at the reception to the song, which I did a little bit, like the general opinion seems to be that it like uses the themes from the DLC and the base game well. It, you know, it works them in well, and it's this version like. A lot of people were saying it feels applicable to certain events and certain characters in the DLC. So if all that's being accomplished at once, that's extremely, extremely impressive. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I think so. And and um, yeah, I, I I would definitely re- refer people to uh, Nikki's review of Teal Mask and uh, my review of Indigo Disc, the the main characters of the DLC, uh, Kieran and Carmine, who are sisters. Um, there's yeah Karen, Karen's I, a boy and Carmine's the older sister yep yeah they are uh yeah I can definitely see like the commentary that you were running into Hillary about yeah some of the theming to this uh to this remix song how that would apply to their relationship to each other their relationship to Pokemon their relationship to you as the protagonist um that makes a lot of sense too I like that yeah it's, it's so much fun to delve into it and think about all of this Um, yeah this commentary did not go where i thought it was gonna go (laughs) it's been interesting yeah well mike how are you feeling about uh telling us about your three because because i i think you got some good ones right i think so i think so i think so too um i think so for (laughs) (laughs) i i really didn't want to like repeat myself too much from the last episode but you know I, i have my reasons so but i'll get into them um, yeah, so my three songs for Music of the Year are Dedicated to Moonlight from Final Fantasy XIV and Walker, uh, the world map theme from Meg's Monster, and the Colgara battle, at least some parts of the Colgara battle from The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. So that's all I'm saying for now. Let's go listen and we'll talk about them after.
right, so dedicated to Moonlight. Um, you know, there's a new piano and band arrangement album for N. Walker uh, that I just got a couple weeks ago, and it has two versions, two new versions of this song on there. There's a piano version and a band version, and they're a lot of fun. But and I enjoy hearing them, the piano version, the band, and I recommend checking them out. But this ver- the original one is still my favorite. Um, just the the energy and the vibe of this one, and the way it's used in the game in the one of the Alliance raid battles, it's just so much fun. Um, the whole series in, in Endwalker has been great. I, I don't I don't think I consider it my favorite Alliance raid in the series because we do have like some Ivalice and the near things, but uh, some awesome awesome music. Um, so. This one, this is the song for the last fight in the second tier of the raids. This is when you're... Uh, spoilers, I guess? Uh, if, <laughs> this is when you're fi- fighting Menfina. And um, when, when this one came out, I recall some of the commentary about it. Like, some people didn't like this quite as much as In the Balance. Um, and we're not here today to talk about which of those is better. I, I would have a hard time choosing which is better. But you know what this one has that In the Balance doesn't have? Is that fiddle. Um... It is a fiddle, right? We've determined it's a fiddle. Okay, good. Um, I love that. Um, I, just the, like I said, the energy and the feeling of the song I love in general. But when that fiddle kicks in, uh, you know, a few times during the song, it just it just takes it to a new place, and I just love it. Um, I almost even wrote down that I, I get chills, but that felt a little too on the nose, given all the ice attacks being thrown at you in this fight. But uh, yeah, fiddle. Give me that fiddle. I don't know. I, I've listened to this one so much since it came out, so I it was kind of an easy choice to bring on here. I had a lot of fun with this song, too. And yeah. I just want to really quickly share a thought. This took me straight back to my, like, high school anime watching days. Really? Yeah, because, like, that melody and that kind of type of lyrical content followed by those sudden fiddle intervention uh, kind of reminded me of a couple songs that Yoko Kano did. I think it's the opening to Escaflone really? that I'm mm-hmm. thinking of. Okay. It's not fiddles, but it's bagpipes. And they're suddenly there. And you're confused, but it works. Oh, I got to hear that now. Okay. <laughs> um, but that, and then I think there's an original track of hers, Moon, where she does like a similar thing where it's just kind of a sudden split. And there's a new instrument and it's introduced without any much of a transition at all. But it's, it still kind of works. So, I don't know. I enjoyed it. It was very nostalgic for me. I had no idea. Give me that fiddle. <laughs> I think that's that's the big takeaway here. <laughs> Though I'm, I'm also interested. Um, I haven't had a chance to listen to the new uh, Primals and Keiko uh, Arrange album. I'm very interested in the piano version, especially. I think Keiko does such a good job. Um, so I'd, I'd like to see what happens when you strip back all of it to just one instrument. Um, but yeah, this original version is, is certainly um, like good. Like it's catchy and fun. And yeah, when that fiddle comes in, give me that fiddle. Yeah. I, I will actually, I want to do a quick mention to like, yes, the piano version is good. Um, and just so you know, the band version is, uh, yeah, the, the primals are, are singing it. So it's a completely right. different vocal experience, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I figured it would be a very different sound <laughs> with the primals. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I I, I, I love uh, this song. I, I I think that there's always multiple bangers every single time there's a new raid uh, a new raid series in Final Fantasy fourteen. But they're always, I feel like Soken's always trying to surprise us a little bit. <laughs> like 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 I I, I mean no, no everyone is a little shocked at 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 what the next raid thing is because it, it, there, it, there's always something that is just so uh unexpected in either tone or con- tone or content or uh or or sound and i mean did anyone really think like a i mean i mean this is basically a pop song but also has this really aggressive percussion and uh and and a i guess a bridge that's really beautiful it 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 it's it's somehow like intense and foreboding, but also so pleasant at the same time. And and um, we we have had that uh, that sort of soundscape before in raids. Like I, I think the, the Titania raid in Shadowbringers is a little bit like that. I was just about to mention that one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah very and, different um, from what you expect. <laughs> yeah, and the, the the Shiva phase of the the Shiva battle from the Eden raids is, is a little like that, but. Uh, but but I mean that's only the sort of female pop vocals behind a track with a lot of darkness in it kind of concept. I'm not saying that any of those are close to the same song. Um, wh- whatever. It, it, I mean it's Final Fantasy 14 music. It's excellent. Uh, Soken shows up later in this episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah, n- not much else to say here. To be excellent again. Yeah. <laughs> it's always the raids. <laughs> I feel like with the really surprising stuff musically, but it really can be. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> I, 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 I like, like pleasant the, the, because the raids are disparate from the main plot. Like you, you can play through the entire story of final fantasy 14 and not do a single, um, eight person raid or Alliance raid. I think other than, other than crystal tower, which is now uh, mandatory. Right. Uh, so I, I think they use those raids as an opportunity to get a little weird. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's, that that's where you, where the bosses that you have to do algebra are and the <laughs> and the and the um the ones where the soundtrack are like experimental pop and electronica songs that maybe they'll they'll be a little bit more buttoned up for the main story and get real messed up during the raids in in terms of design and uh, compose, <laughs> and composing i like that yeah i mean because if you compare the first tier of the current raids, the in in the balance, like I mentioned, that one to this one, like very very different feel, um, which you don't get anywhere else in the game. And then you know that's to say nothing about the the near raids and Shadowbringers, where they're like, hey, what if we took some people's favorite near songs and like blended them with classic Final Fantasy themes? And it's just oh my god, some of the best music in that game. All right. So I have something very different in the middle of my two songs here. So I have not played Meg's Monster yet, but I, I am very fascinated by it. Um, I, I was writing out my notes and I actually wrote a, a sh- way too much of a short story about uh, the composer here, uh, Rao Oratani, uh, their past work. But the short version is that he's, he was with Capcom for a long time. And from 20, 2009 to 2019, almost exclusively worked on Monster Hunter. Um, and actually, I just learned earlier today, also was going to be uh, a composer on Mega Man Legends 3. Mm. I know. I had no idea. Um, 
So I'm not sure exactly when he left Capcom, but since then he's he's credited with doing composing and arranging on some of the Atelier games, uh, Final Fantasy Record Keeper, and five of the six uh, Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster games. Um, because I know there were a lot of people doing arrangements on that, and I didn't I didn't know that. So yeah, yeah. Real quick, that was the only reason I recognized the name because I'm not familiar with Monster Hunter much no. at all. So oh, when I saw Ray right. Oritani, I was like. <laughs> I was like, yeah, these are, yeah, one of the Pixel Remaster. uh, uh, Go get a snack and a drink, children, because it's going to take a while. (laughs) All right. Um, The the Monster Hunter games are almost always composed by committee. Uh, Capcom does that a lot in in general. Like, even Street Fighter 2, which is usually uh, attributed to Yoko Shimomura. Shimomura only wrote about 60% of the tracks in Street Fighter 2 because... um, Again, Capcom will always have multiple composers on every game. And so every Monster Hunter game has between, like, I don't know, three and seven composers on it. But Urotani was on almost all of them from, like, the middle of the PSP era uh, through to, I think, the end of the 3DS era. And then he left Capcom and went freelance, but still contributed some tracks and is credited on uh, Monster Hunter games in the 2020s. Um, I, and I, I think it's not just because they used arrange uh, arrangements of his older songs. I think he joined uh, or, or was was uh, hired as a freelancer to contribute right, contract a little bit. freelance work. Yeah, yeah. nice. But uh, but but he was in the Capcom stable of composers for uh, many years and worked on a ton of Monster Hunter games, uh, including some. I mean, I, I I don't I I'm just looking at the track list here. Some of these are tracks i know all too well he did two of the town themes in the last psp monster hunter game and i don't want to think about how uh, many hours i've spent in that town but uh, <laughs> that's an important one yeah but the um but but this track is really good it's um it, it it does feel like a monster hunter town theme in a way because in monster hunter games they almost always want the town to be as serene as possible and then the hunting grounds themselves to be as harsh and dangerous as possible so the towns have to feel very safe. And I mean, this has this with the cascading piano notes and th- that might also be harp or, or similar. I, I, I don't know. It, it, this really this song feels like a babbling brook and a small running waterfall. Oh, yeah. Like with, with like wind chimes on someone's porch or something. Yeah. So, no, it's really peaceful. I, I enjoy it. Um, so I. I listened to some other songs, and I, I think you might be onto something there too, because some of the you know non-town themes, there are some more. You know, the the idea is like you're surrounded by, you know, there's monsters everywhere, and uh, I haven't, again, haven't played it, but the, you know, I know the basic basic premise of like you know you're this monster like protecting this little girl, right? So uh, yeah, I'm sure there's some foreboding stuff. I'm sure there's some emotional stuff, uh, given the look of the game, but. Uh, I enjoyed this one a lot. Yeah, seeing seeing Meg's monster in here, I was um, before listening expecting more Tim Burton. Um, <laughs> Tim Burton again. Between that and Slay the Princess, yeah, um, <laughs> and was pleasantly surprised because this was very relaxed. Yeah, so it it's it's one of those ones that's a little hard to easily listen to like i looked on youtube and other places it's even on Bandcamp, but it's it's one of the rare soundtracks on Bandcamp you can't preview um but mm. there is a cool website um i think I'll, I'll put a link in the notes like there is a cool like website for the soundtrack that's kind of like set up like a map of the game 
But uh, I like that. That's yeah, harder. I want to. I want to play the game though. This was a good reminder that it was one of the ones I missed recently. So I want to check it out. All right, and one of the reasons I I missed some games in 2023 was because I was playing some Zelda game. Um, yeah, like I said, even though I brought a Zelda game and 14 in the last episode, I I, I figured this is music of the year and. I don't think I can get away with logging 275 hours into Tears of the Kingdom and then not featuring it on this episode. So, uh, Kolgera is my favorite boss in the game, only eclipsed by the final battle, uh, or the final series of battles. And just the whole atmosphere uh, of, of fighting this, like, frozen serpent thing in, in the middle of these icy winds, uh, thousands of feet up in the sky, and... It's just, it's so, it's a thrill, really. Um, and I think without the music, it would be, but there's this song. And, you know, we're using a game rip here. So it's like what we're hearing in the episode is like different segments of the song. Not really. You don't actually hear it straight through in the game, I think. But, uh, oh my gosh, it's so exciting. Um, it, you'll hear just the the flute or the wind instrument, whatever that is, um, is really the star. And then... There's a section later on, like when the music ramps up and it, it sort of has this orchestral sound. And just for the heck of it, we, there's a little there's some notes from Dragon Roost Island, uh, which I did not pick up on until someone pointed it out. But uh, well, Dragon Roost Island is the location of the uh, of, of the wind shrine or wind temple, right? In in uh, in Wind Waker. Oh, I think so. It's been so long since I played Wind Waker. Yeah, because because Wind Waker has the has the wind temple and the earth temple and this is the boss of the tears of the kingdom yeah. wind temple yeah am I, am I mistaken i could i could be no honest. you're right you're right that 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 would explain that being in the song but it's so cool i love the way it's just in there it's i wouldn't say it's an easter egg but it's just kind of like woven into the song um and then there's what that just makes me think of link like humming all his old themes while cooking Oh it's yes. just a nice little that, throwback yeah that one's fun too but and, uh, and very relevant in this case mm-hmm and there's places, uh, there's some places in the depths when you're playing where you can refight the, the different temple bosses. And uh, whenever I'm running through there, if I come across this one, I will fight it again because it's just, it's fun. I get to hear the music again, uh, even though you're underground, not up in the sky, but I just, I enjoy it so much. Okay. I, I, I was mistaken. Um, the wind temple is not on Dragon Roost Island, but Dragon Roost Island is where the Rito people live and they're associated with. Oh yeah. That's with, their, with, that's with their the quest. Wind, uh, yeah, they're um, they're associated with the Wind Temple or the in uh, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. So I, I was just correcting myself for in, for all the Zelda fans in the audience, uh, furious at me for getting the detail <laughs> wrong. But I, I mean, I mean, I hate to bring this to Monster Hunter again, but this feels like the opposite kind of Monster Hunter track than the previous one uh, uh, <laughs> song was. This is um, you're fighting an epic duel against a monster many times uh, larger than you. And I, I haven't, I have not played this boss fight, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to make some assumptions here, um, like dodging tornadoes many times your size, perhaps running up its body or running up debris that it casts around to get a good hit in, and um, and with parts of the soundtrack sort of matching the epic scale of the leaping and dodging and and sword swinging he's doing. Um, yes, 
not all, not all of that. Some of that is is very on the nose, but but it's at least in the spirit of the fight. Yes, for sure. <laughs> I did play a bit of Tears of the Kingdom, but I was just so like always just doing the next thing I saw in front of me that I didn't even yep. reach any of the temples, <laughs> and still played it for about uh, eight or ten hours. <laughs> but uh, I mean th- that game is so broad and. Um, it's it's exciting that it uh, that there are four or more uh, battles with at, like of this level to be found eventually. Yeah, I it, I think uh, the Monster Hunter comparison is a little bit apt just because the me- the boss fight music in these more recent Zelda games really they may have taken a lesson from games like Monster Hunter or something like that because it's it's very dynamic music like it will change based on what's right on what's mm. happening mm-hmm. and where you are yeah yeah it just it does especially when most of the games have like this very like subtle atmospheric sound to it but they went like really really hard on the on the battle and boss themes so mike this is telling me that you're interested in maybe playing a monster hunter game if you're following Orotani's career <laughs> and making monster hunter comparisons to breath of the wild apparently and you, and you, and you like playing games for hundreds of hours that's so, true yeah. mm. All right, excellent. Well, uh, um, all three three games are in the mail. <laughs> I, I even voted voted for uh, Monster Hunter in a recent retro encounter poll, even though it didn't win. I'm going to say uh, I haven't gotten to this part of Tears of the Kingdom. I very recently uh, booted it up, and I am obviously nowhere near uh, the super cool stuff like this. Um, but as you described uh, the fight. Uh, you know, icy, windy, way up high in the sky. And then what I noticed when we were listening to it as a game rip, and hopefully Nintendo will publish the soundtrack at some point, um, is when you get dynamic layers of music, which uh, I'm sure Monster Hunter does as well. Uh, For my money, one of the first games to do that sort of thing and do it well in the context of fighting things that are significantly bigger than you uh, and maybe doing it uh, while not having any ground below you uh, would be in uh, certain fights in Shadow of the Colossus. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I saw where you were going. <laughs> when I l- was listening to the song, one of my first thoughts was, oh, yeah, this kind of reminds me of a really good Shadow of the Colossus yep. battle theme. Um, and now they share battle themes, but there are a few distinct uh, musical cuts that they use as well. And one of them is the first flying one. It's like this, if you remember the game from 2005, it's like this lake and then this bird comes down. You have to jump on the wing. Oh, God. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And I could just totally hear that, uh, especially after you described the fight. So, yeah, Monster Hunter, but also like early concept of doing dynamic layering with your your battle music and uh, contextualizing it around what's happening in the fight, mm-hmm. uh, what sort of stage or focus you're in with probably like a multi-layered battle slash puzzle of a fight. Um, yeah. Makes me really want to uh, make some heavy progress in this game ASAP. That's what yeah. I'll say most of all when I listened to this. I was like, oh yeah, I need to play this game. Well, I encourage that. Oh no. Okay. So now between between uh, Urutani and Tears of the Kingdom, and now that you made the comparison to Shadow of the Colossus, a game I love, yeah, 
I guess I do need to try Monster Hunter, don't I? Yep, just uh, set aside around 400 hours in 2024 <laughs> uh, for, for each of the games you try, of course. Right, right. Uh, and you'll be good to go by 2031. Cool. <laughs> All right, I guess I'll just put down this Like a Dragon game then. No, 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 no. You can, you can play that one too. <laughs> do them all, Mike. Do them all. Do them all, yeah. <sighs> okay. So we've come to the middle of our episode, and we actually have two bonus songs in this episode, which I'm really happy about. So I thought it'd be fun to get some bonus music from our two founding members of Rhythm Encounter. So in the middle here, we're doing one bonus track from Stephen Meyer Inc. Uh, and Pat, I'm sure you'll be happy about this, but uh, Stephen wanted us to play Normal Battle 1 from Octopath Traveler 2. I'm very happy with his choice. Great yeah. minds think alike. So, yeah. So we're going to just cut over to that and listen to that. And then we'll come back and Solosi and Hillary can share their songs after. So for our, our little intermission here, let's go listen to Normal Battle 1 from Octopath Traveler 2.
All right. Well, thank you for contributing that song, Stephen. Uh, between you and Pat, it definitely just reminds me to go and play Octopath Traveler when I'm done playing all the Monster Hunter games. It's strong showing for this game for music of the year. Oh, strong yeah. endorsement. It definitely belongs here. So I'm happy that we end up having two of them. So the only reason I didn't bring one was because I was 100% certain Pat would. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm really excited about your picks, though. So I know uh, there's, mm-hmm. there's such a diverse array there. Yeah. I'm excited. So what are, what are we doing here, Silizzi? All right. Well, um, these are three of the games I spent among the most time with in 2023. Uh, and I mean, if you listen to me on podcasts or follow me on social media, you definitely heard me talk about all three of these at some time or another. Um, the three songs are first from Dave the Diver, Preserved Realm by D'Antoni Wooten. Uh, second from Final Fantasy 16, Ascension by Masayoshi Soken. And lastly, from Street Fighter 6, Mr. Top Player, composed by Shigeyuki Kameda. I know we're, we're slightly bending the rules bringing on Street Fighter, but you know, it has that one mode, right? Well, yes, and believe you me, I am going to talk about it. <laughs> awesome. All right, let's go take a listen and then talk about them.
so uh yeah that's my selection of 2023 tracks that i brought uh to play today and i would say that they're um all fairly different in in uh you know in in vibe uh but the the irony is all the three of these are basically battle tracks <laughs> like preserved realm is a very serene song and it takes place in sort of a a cold water area of dave the diver um but you know you can definitely get impaled by a narwhal or uh or attacked by a shark in that in um in in this uh very very chill uh uh area of the game and um and but that's sort of what dave the diver is it's um the music is almost entirely serene except for some things like boss bat like boss fight music and uh when and when you're diving into the water which is sort of like a semi roguelike semi evolving um uh, game space uh like it's really really relaxing until it suddenly isn't yeah, <laughs> when there's, you're being, there's a marlin yeah. trying in your face or... yeah, if, if, <laughs> yeah if there's a, a sailfish trying to impale you or, or any uh, variety of sharks or exploding jellyfish <laughs> or my favorite i suddenly have to box a barracuda <laughs> yeah or or like you're you're trying to catch a cuttlefish and you miss so it inks your it inks you yes. and runs away so the screen's obscured and you didn't see that tiger shark over there and yeah and that's only like the first zone of the game <laughs> but but, anyway, but Dave the Diver is great it's a um it, it's a semi roguelike semi business sim with RPG elements uh released by um Mint Rocket a Korean studio uh run by Nexon over the summer but then uh, got more popular with the Switch version, uh, released in I think October, maybe November. It's um, it's a really really fun game. But the music in it is so relaxing, and because they, I think they wanted to convey like the sort of beauty of the ocean and the and the and of scuba diving and of just seeing the life teeming around you, but uh, but also communicate how dangerous a lot of that is because even though the music is almost always very very low like very very low feeling the action can get quite intense in dave the diver mm-hmm. and but, but and sometimes it's just like oh i gotta upgrade my spear gun and try to get steel nets and and uh and like tr- and it, tuna uh, tuna party is happening in two days so i gotta get as many of these bluefin tuna as i can <laughs> without without destroying them so i can get more meat per tuna yeah. like it's it's, it's a it's a very very fun gameplay loop, but the music for it is almost always chill. Like even like the um, when you're sitting on your boat preparing for your dive, the music oh, yeah. that plays is like almost seems um, statically like it's coming through an old radio. Yeah, it's this old timey kind of like easy listening almost. Sort of. <laughs> yeah, 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 a lot of Dave the Diver's music is easy listening, but the action taking place is anything but. And I think that's something very very fun about it. And um, I, I don't usually uh, a roguelike is a game that I would all often be a podcast game. It's like I'll throw on a podcast while I'm playing the game. But Dave the Diver's soundtrack, even though it's a kind of game that's that is uh, well suited to listening to a podcast, I usually didn't because the the music itself and also the audio of everything happening around you is a uh, I think an indelible part of the experience. Yeah, and it's a good reminder that you know between. Uh, close calls you can always return to the the beauty and the majesty around you also i i love all the music that has to do with boncho it's oh like, yeah no boncho's and boncho is one of my favorite side characters yes. of the year I, I i nominated him for rpg fans awards but i don't, I don't he probably didn't get a single vote with when you have like sid and jill and torgal around but the uh or uh, and, and all the uh 
all the Baldur's Gate three weirdos. But um, um, <laughs> oh, we'll oh, get to have you, uh, uh, Hillary, have you gotten to the part with the with the vegetable rap song? No. Oh, oh boy. Oh boy. Continue uh, those um, special that continue the special guest subplots. Okay, good because I love those. Um, I, I thought about bringing that on for the podcast, but it, it, it's it, it was not really the uh, even though it's a delightful song, it's not. It, it, it didn't sort of create the mood I wanted for yep. my choices for this episode. That's fair. But now, um, to swing for to a wildly different mood. Oh, <laughs> un, oh, unless Patrick or Mike want to uh, want to di- dive the Dave a little bit. I haven't played the game yet. I have been very interested in it and now having heard you describe that there is an ice area which all good games have uh <laughs> i and and very much enjoying listening to this music uh, i think i need to play this game plus i love roguelikes yeah you will not I be mean, disappointed at least check out the demo like that's what i did at first and i was like oh oh i can see myself spending a lot of time on this but now, now yeah. I just like now I'm just enjoying it through Hillary, so it, it saves me some time. But okay. it's really cool. <laughs> I like it a lot. All right. Well, um, now we're gonna do a, a, a little bit of a different sounding game for a different type of game. Uh, Final Fantasy 16 Ascension. Um, this is, uh, I believe, stage four or stage five of the Bahamut boss battle fight. Okay, spoiler alert: you fight Bahamut. Shouldn't that shouldn't be a spoiler, but I guess it is. I apologize. <laughs> not shocking for a Final Fantasy, but yeah, especially know. not for this one. No, <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. You're so good. since yeah, since because um a, a lot of Final Fantasy 16's plot points are giant kaiju battles between traditional <laughs> Final Fantasy summons. Um, I, I think every boss fight in the game is a classic Final Fantasy summon. I mean, I mean, Garuda is maybe the least common one. All right, actually, well, there are two boss fights against monsters related to the final boss let's say uh but we're not we're not talking about that um uh, the bahamut boss fight is incredibly epic it's uh it starts out like um uh you're battling far above a city in ruins uh you you transform into different versions of the monster you control you uh, take the battle to the skies then you take the battle into outer space and there's explosions and fire and it just every boss fight in Final Fantasy 16 feels like it's outdoing the previous one, um, even though there's one late boss fight I don't love as much as the others. But uh, but but for the most part, um, Final Fantasy 16's big encounters are about spectacle and escalation and uh, and just being as epic as possible while making what while like having every punch and every uh, fireball just feel like it has amazing impact and. Um, basically all the boss fights are in multiple stages. Ascension is one of the last stages of the Bahamut boss fight because Soken, more so here than in, I think, I mean, any boss fight in, say, Final Fantasy XIV, like, specifically chunks all of the tracks so that they match the action sort of note for note in, uh, in, in cutscenes and then transition smoothly into... A, a more loopable version of the song for so the battle can continue. And uh, I, I think, what, how many discs does the FF16 soundtrack have? Is, is it something like seven? It's seven, and there's a bonus eight disc with the limited edition. But yeah, <laughs> right. seven discs, yeah. And, and that, that's because, uh, I mean, for many, there's many reasons why it's so elaborate, but one of them is every major encounter of the game has not just a battle track, it has like five battle tracks and the transition tracks between them. Uh, because basically ff16 has almost unparalleled fight choreography and uh even if you're if you're just in a in a uh quick time event 
where you know Ifrit's fireball and Bahamut's fireball are meeting, and you have to mash the square button to you know to overpower Bahamut's fire. Uh, it, it feels incredible. Like, like, like uh, sometimes you feel like you're playing a Devil May Cry or an Asura's Wrath game in Final Fantasy 16, and I say that as a as a as a high compliment. And just Ascension, um, this track specifically um, feels like somehow like solemn and epic at the same time, but then it just keeps building and building and building. Uh, it, it's a very dramatic song to match a dramatic boss fight. And uh, yeah, yeah, like I, 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 I really just remember the excitement and um, the, the excitement of every big boss fight in Final Fantasy 16 so fondly. Uh, and Bahamut is one of the best ones. Yeah, my reaction to this, I mean, I basically, like, on some subconscious level, recalled all the awesome feeling Final Fantasy boss fights <laughs> that I have previously done. Um, but with what you said, with the incredible, like, timing and choreography, you know, I've seen a limited amount of that with the amount of 16 I've played. But that's, it's incredible just the way those sequences have been built and exquisitely timed. So I, 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 I think that's a very strong argument for the 16 soundtrack as, you know, soundtrack of the year, which it did win at the Game Awards. Oh, it did. Yeah, it did. Yeah. And that was a pretty big deal, um, especially because they tend, they tend to, in my opinion, if you look at the past years, they tend to overlook the Japanese contenders. And uh, Yeah, I, um, in 2022, I think God of War Ragnarok won over Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Which is insane. Which is which I, I, I don't agree with. I might be biased towards Japanese RPGs just because of who I am, but it yeah, made me wonder, like, like, did they really listen to both soundtracks? Because I, right. I feel like that can't be true. Right. Yeah, and, right. and Ragnarok is a good soundtrack, of course. it's Of course, it's it's well-made, but Xenoblade 3 was, like, stupidly good. No, I like that. I, I really... I, I enjoy like this and it's it's kind of a loose loose thing to compare it to the zelda thing or any other game with like dynamic or changing music but i i really like that even though i'm sure it's it's makes it hard to like build soundtracks sometimes when you have songs that like adapt to what's happening in the game um but uh i i like whenever games do that actually like what the day before we recorded this they released a new trailer for uh visions of mana who said they're going to do a similar thing with the soundtrack which is exciting. also the the day before we recorded this they released the uh first trailer for the third dlc character street fighter 6 oh. and, and you 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 didn't set me up for uh for a good um uh for a good transition in one way but uh you mentioned dynamic music um i've actually ordered these three in order of least dynamic to most dynamic because ah, cool. street fighter 6's entire soundtrack will change depending on what round you're in and uh, whether the whether you or your opponent has low health and uh, oh. and, uh, and also set up intro and and uh, and sort of exiting um, tunes as, as you play it I, I, I don't have it broken down in front of me exactly but I think um, um, the round one music is around uh, 80 seconds and the round two and three music are around 40 seconds each and um and they uh and the part towards the end of mr top player where you hear a lot of low saxophone mm-hmm. is what it switches to when um uh when the uh the character on the i believe it's the left side character's health gets critical which is below 20 percent and um and, and and basically they'll uh 
they'll switch phrases and because there's sort of more energy between each phrase like it like um the, the the round two theme for jamie's music is a uh, uh brings in a lot more horns and uh round three um continues with the horns but then as the like hi-hat um to like to make it sort of seem jazzier and bigger than the previous tracks mm-hmm. uh, or i say previous just previous moments in the same track um so and every single stage and every single character have their own unique theme that is dynamic like that. So uh, uh, the final uh, Street Fighter's um, Six's soundtrack is out. It's 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 over a hundred tracks. It's completely insane. But the thirty or thirty five or so um, stage and character themes are all dynamically organized like that, which is sometimes great. And, and I think in game it, it's better than listening to it in a, in a vacuum like we are now. But also had a lot of people complain because this is less listenable than a normal fighting game soundtrack. Like, I mean, Street Fighter V had a great soundtrack. It was a lot of uh, new arrangements of classic Street Fighter songs, including some like all, dating all the way back to Street Fighter II, uh, and uh, and a, a lot of different genres represented as well. While um, um, Street Fighter VI is intended to be more dynamic and more uh, appropriate to the action while Street Fighter V is just a bunch of catchy bangers. Um, this is one of the... Ca- Jamie's theme, Mr. Top Player, is one of the catchiest songs in the game. It's so funky. It has horns and percussion and bass uh, elements of, um, of, like, of, uh, of um, funk and breakdancing with some Chinese instruments because Jamie, Jamie is a vigilante fighter that protects uh, the Chinatown of Metro City. Uh, and, and he's also uh, um, uh, has a connection to the characters Yun and Yang from Street Fighter Three. But um, because these are sort of dynamic um, tracks intended to be matching the action, some uh, I, I agree. Some of the music is a little bit confusing to listen to, um, and and uh, and fans have been very mixed on it. That like some people think Street Fighter Six has like the worst music in the in any main series game in the series. I think they're insane for thinking that, but uh, I, I just wanted to highlight Street Fighter Six's music because I've listened to it so much. I mean, Blanca's theme is inspired by real uh, Brazilian hip hop, and Ryu's theme is uh, is is less intense and determined and more free and jazzy because uh, because he's finally because it's representing Ryu as a character casting off the dark hado that was haunting him for most of his uh, career in the Street Fighter story. Um, and and uh, I I think it's great. A lot of people dislike it, but I uh, wanted to highlight the uh, <clears throat> excuse me the dynamic uh, music in Street Fighter Six, but also because it has an RPG mode, a uh, an open world where you gain levels and equip styles and level up skills and equip armor and all that great RPG stuff that makes it you know a borderline uh, game we could cover. But I didn't have the time or inclination uh, to review it or write a mini feature like I planned to at one point, um, close to when it came out. Uh, but yeah, I've talked about Street Fighter a lot, uh, and thank you for the opportunity to do so. Uh, this song is funky and fresh as hell, and I am going to listen to it for many, many years to come. It's it's really just based on this song. It's hard to believe that that's the reception. I mean, I'm not in the fighting game scene, so... Um, and so I don't know, like, do other, again, as someone who doesn't play these a lot anymore, um, do other fighting games do that? It, it has happened before. Not not all of them do. Uh, and it's done it's to very varying levels of success. This is the first time Street Fighter has done it this uh, boldly. A, a lot of Street Fighter games will have the music speed up when one character's health gets low. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, 
or, or, or change in tone, but uh, to have differences between rounds one, two, three, intro, outro, and low health is uh, pretty new for Street uh, for Street Fighter. It, it reminds me of, I mean, the first example I know of of dynamic music of this level is in uh, Skies of Arcadia, where the boss battle theme has a yeah. normal version, then a critical version if two or more characters have low health or are fallen, and then a victory version when the uh, when your characters are healthy and the enemy is critical. Yeah. It's a, uh, um, yeah. But when I, if I can compare Street Fighter Six to Skies of Arcadia, you know I really like the game. Yeah, no mm-hmm. kidding. No, I think it was fantastic. Um, I mean, I, I guess I can see, you know, like any other dynamic one, it would be, maybe not, I don't know. I wouldn't think it's less listenable or anything as a soundtrack, but you just, you wouldn't get the same effect. Um, but I think that's just awesome. That, that seems like a really cool way of integrating music with the game. Uh, so I, I don't know. I enjoy like, I know it's not as intended in the game, but I still really, really, really. Oh no, I did too. It's so, oh, it's so I, I, much I love, fun. I love the song. I'm just, yeah. I'm just saying that yeah. it, um, all of the Street Fighter Six songs, or at least the stage and character themes, are intended for uh, like for fighting game context. Yeah, and enhanced by that context. And sometimes, especially for the songs that maybe aren't as fun as Mr. Top Player, um, it, it's maybe a little bit of a confusing listen. But but uh, the the reception by the in, in my my perception of the reception is that it's very mixed. Some people love the SF6 music. Some fans are uh, are kind of mad about it. And um, we whatever I I've I've made my stance clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you bringing it. Yeah, that that was the most fun. <laughs> I almost want to create like a side project with you. Mr. Solosi on <laughs> good fighting game music because I'm actually uh, secretly a huge fan of really good fighting game music and I actually uh, I am also familiar with some parts of the fan base thinking that Six doesn't have as strong a soundtrack as the others uh, and I'm also uh, heavily disagreed with them and heavily agreed with you uh, and I like Jamie's theme a lot I think it's <laughs> one of the catchiest tracks on this OST I'll just keep it at that. Nice. The Graham Norgate Killer Instinct soundtrack of the 2010s <laughs> is the next is the next one I want to direct you to, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I know that one. I'll have to oh, check it out. Oh boy! Oh, oh, oh boy! <laughs> they used um actual uh uh um uh native instrumentation and language for the native characters uh uh track, and it is. It, it, oh, all right, all right. Well, we'll we'll talk after the episode. <laughs> I got it. I got to check that out. I'm so curious. Awesome. Yeah, me too. Okay, I'm sure we're going to see a link soon. Um, <laughs> but it, but until then, that brings us to you, Hillary. Oh yay! What is <laughs> Are you nervous at this uh, point? I just hope everyone enjoyed my pigs. <laughs> I know I did, but we can't we can't say that yet. You got to introduce them first. That's true. Okay, so um. My picks, I think some of them will probably be expected. I tried to branch out at least a little bit with one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. And they are, the first one is The Way I See, which is Andrew Jeremy from Coffee Talk 2, Hibiscus and Butterfly. And then Down by the River from Baldur's Gate 3. And last but not least, uh, Lux Tizer from Seventh Saga, the composer's edition. Which is why that that game is uh, here this year. <laughs> it's because that edition released. Uh, right, the game is from what ninety what, and this this soundtrack like came out ninety two or ninety three. Yeah. All right. Well, 
Let's go listen and we'll be back.
So uh, I decided to start my set with a starting song, or at least an early song. No, I think this is menu music. Yes, in Hibiscus and Butterfly. But you do hear it more often than that, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so basically, Coffee Tuck is very much what it sounds like. It's learning about people, conversations, bonding uh, in a coffee shop where you get to make coffee drinks. But it's a an alternative version of Seattle where many of your patrons are mythical creatures. Um, and Hibiscus and Butterfly, the two new characters are a satyr and a banshee so good yeah it's it's really cute and i feel like this theme just sets the tone amazingly well and that's i wanted to pick at least one song that i felt did that very well for my for my music of the year just something where it encapsulates so much of what the game is uh i also i am a sucker for this sort of like relaxing lo-fi kind of sound so there was a coffee talk soundtrack that came out so i had to bring it um but also i i picked this because the specific composer and the specific music fits in the game and becomes part of the game uh which is a lot of fun basically your barista is a fan of Aramie gendru um <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and you can pick, and this was actually in the first game too, in the little like music selector, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, because you could bring up your in-game cell phone right. and play any song from the Coffee Talk soundtrack by Aramie right. Gendrew. Yes. With, so, with album art. Yep. And it was really cute. They ran with it in the second game. Not only is your barista a fan, but your musically inclined patron, uh, who's a singer, uh was sort of at a crossroads in her career in the last game in this game has grown up a bit and has decided she wants to be a little more creative so she has chosen a surprising collaborator and it's Aramie Dendrew Um, (laughs) which is a lot of fun and actually depending on what drink you serve her you get a different track that she writes which is another like very cute kind of limited but it, it plays into what we've been talking about with like choices and kind of making music dynamic and getting different music under different circumstances so a little different but i wanted to put that out there yeah i i didn't i mean we didn't even know the extent of how many different songs there were until we got the soundtrack i think we picked like the like this is what we this is the drink that reminds us the most of the character this is what she's asking for this is the closest yep yep and you get a good song with that but i think i like one of the other ones more Mm mm-hmm no, I, I like I like this choice. I think you're you're right on. Like having obviously played through the game with you, that you know this is a really solid choice to kind of represent the game as a whole. It really sets the the tone for what you can expect from the game. You know, musically, of course, but also just the, the vibe of the game and the conversations with the characters. Yeah, and I mean the the three alternatives with the drinks and the singer character, like those were all kind of in a subset of like close second choices yeah. but yeah like this one was just so recognizable to me and just instantly kind of ha- had me get that cozy feeling that you want to get in a game like coffee talk yeah i think cozy feeling is the way to describe like this whole set of music right i'm a, uh, am perpetually behind i actually reviewed the soundtrack to the first coffee talk uh i think 
early in 23, like right before the second game came out. And I was like, I'm going to review the second soundtrack. And I gave it one early listen and I thought I want to play the game itself. And then I didn't get around to playing the game. Uh, and I am ashamed of myself. But then I got to listen to The Way I See again, thanks to you, Hillary. Yay! And and now I'm like, maybe I can get back on that. Because, yes, uh, this style of music is great. It's really great for the season that we're in right now in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. I really like sort of winter vibes with coffee shops and stuff. Um, and yeah, Andrew Jeremy is, uh, he's an expert at his craft. He's an expert at what he does. Um, yeah, so, and I, I really want to play the game now because I want to experience these uh, variant versions of the vocal track that can come out. One of the, I think just to sum things up, Another reason why I like these soundtracks so much is because this is a type of music. It's so easy to miss the mark and, you know, make it just a little bit too repetitive or a little bit too jarring with like too many. It's really difficult to hit that middle ground where it's like relaxing, but interesting Mm -hmm. and has the right feel. So I I think this is a this is a genre that like anyone who makes music could make this kind of music but to make it well actually takes a great deal of skill probably a lot of practice and just a certain intuition and attention to detail yeah yeah definitely attention to detail if you want to make it well that you better be yeah attention to detail is huge every parameter of how you do every little thing matters right and how you change those parameters as the song progresses mm-hmm not well, unlike making a really good latte. Exactly. <laughs> anyone can anyone can dump the ingredients together, but can you make it good? Right. Is the espresso perfect? Is the milk yeah. perfectly steamed? Right, right. <laughs> well, if you want to play it, I would I would encourage it. I know like not a, just a week ago I was yelling at you like start Tears of the Kingdom, but uh Coffee Talk is much less of a commitment, so, you know. What do we get? 12 hours? Also, the, the new companion character from Neil, Amanda. Oh my God. Is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit less of a commitment than Monster Hunter as well, I would <laughs> I, Yeah, probably a little bit. Slightly less. Yeah. Slightly less. <laughs> well, unless anyone wants to add, we can get into something a little bit more epic and maybe a little bit more sinister, but possibly not hmm. with Baldur's Gate 3. All right. So I did. So I got excited about Baldur's Gate 3. I decided it was something I wanted to play. Decided that for some reason I wanted my soundtrack to kind of be the introduction. Other than my friend yelling, Ming Skimboo, we're back! Um, (laughs) And I was struck by the soundtrack as a whole. Um, There's a lot of really good stuff there. But in the end, I kept coming back to this song, which is a little funny because this is the exact song that was also performed at the Game Awards. Uh, But, you know, I think there's a reason for that. This is beautiful vocal track. Love the vocalist. Um, And it's actually, from what I understand, it's, it was sort of meant to represent certain like early access or certain ideas that did not fully make their way into the final game, which is interesting. Like it's a very, very, pretty song the lyrics are pretty like calm and serene um but if you can if you think about that potential like early context it's actually pretty sinister because 
not to spoil too much, but you kind of have a, a parasite and this song kind of represents the, could potentially represent the parasite, like presenting itself as positive and like trying to soothe you into complacence. Oh, geez. Yeah. So it's a little, it has a cool little uh, sinister edge. And if you know it, the song hits quite differently. Uh, but it's also a good example of a very powerful musical motif, like those those notes where she's singing the down, down, down by the river lyrics. That motif shows up in several other songs, including the, I think, the credits. Oh, okay. So, like, you get a little bit of that same melody in the finale. You get that motif at several different points throughout the story. And it's it's woven in well. So I wanted to represent that. I, I haven't actually mentioned this to you, but, like, you started playing it like a week or two ago or whenever and like it's stuck in my head. Yep. <laughs> I just keep hearing it. It's so good. Um, and I'm like, I, sometimes I'm like, am I hearing in my head or is she playing it in the other room? And I'm not really sure. I think usually it's just in my head. It's haunting you now. <laughs> I mean, if I can be haunted by something, I want it to be a song like this. So I'm okay. It, it haunts you like a mind parasite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have so much to say about this song. I'm, I'm, well, I'm going to try and keep it short. Um, so first off, composer Borislav Slavov is uh, like not too prolific. Uh, maybe worked on six games, seven games in the last 15 years. Uh, and he seems to hop on as, as a sequel person. He did Two Worlds 2, but not one. He did Divinity Original Sin 2, That's but not one. That's right, yep. And now he's on for Baldur's Gate 3, but certainly not the original two from forever ago. Right. Um, and I think the instrumental sort of BGM tracks, I mean, certainly they're not bad. The Baldur's Gate 3 soundtrack is solid, uh, as is the whole game. But I do think he does one or two vocal themes on each game he's, he's worked on. And, and I do think he's actually very very good at doing uh, vocal themes of a lot of in a lot of different ways with a lot of different concepts behind them. I think it was uh, a bold choice to have a song title and lyrics down by the river um, because there's there's an old sort of American gospel okay. association yep. with that phrase, right? I'm going to lay down my burdens down by the riverside. Now, musically melodically it's not that at all but thematically you can kind of pick up on that and to say there's this parasite that might uh soothe you or 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 help you get into complacence is a very subversive idea about whether or not uh the call of something that uh might be soothing or maybe the call of of uh divinity or god itself could actually be a, a an unhealthy or parasitic thing but it's going to sell itself as soothing. Uh, so there's a lot there. If you, yeah, if you really like dig into that gospel connection, that's an interesting read. That That is immediately where I went when I listened to it. Um, and again, you know, just like with the Toby Fox thing, I could be way over reading, <laughs> but like that was the vibe I got. And I just feel like given the themes of the games Slavov has worked on, including this one, it just wouldn't surprise me if that was kind of part of what was going on here. Well, and I, I the way it's presented re- in this game too. Yeah. Yes. You, there was... are many choices to make, and like many ways you could read or like look at what's going on. I was not ready for Pat to like psychoanalyze two of our songs today, but <laughs> I, I'm really here for it, just because it's just an interesting angle that I had not considered before. Yeah, I got 
I hate to admit it, but they got to the point of this is a famous old song title. I know it is, and I should, I should, yeah. I should figure out exactly what that connection is because I know it's familiar. And then I just never quite got around to it. So I appreciate you bringing that to our full attention. Yeah, I, I only know part of that gospel song because it was adapted into one of the songs in "O oh Brother Where Art Thou." Oh yes. my god! Yeah, it's one of the it, most important songs in "O oh Brother Where Art Thou." Yeah. yeah, it's um, it's it, it's it's you know, it's the baptism scene that I think is based on the Lotus Eaters scene from the Odyssey. Oh yes, because remember "O oh Brother Where Art Thou" was the Odyssey and also the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, but yeah, th- this song sounds like it could be like a traditional um a, a traditional ballad of some you know of, of some european maybe possibly celtic origin but the way that they use the motif it, it's uh, my understanding is that it's the character creation song yep but then the, but then the song comes back in unexpected places yep. maybe maybe if you're struggling with the parasite in your brain because i mean for in D terms it's like you're uh, uh infected by a mind flare right mm-hmm. he's trying to he's trying to turn you into another mind flare but like like basically giving this song such a sinister in-game context while being very beautiful on its own is so cool and subversive and i really want to play Baldur's gate 3 the problem is i have so much uh like a dragon and monster hunter uh like on my plate that i don't know if i can find the time yeah i'm i'm glad it was represented here though because it's also on our list of like need to play but uh for every so many people we talked to were like, yes, uh, I'm still playing Baldur's Gate 3 and I can't stop playing Baldur's <laughs> Gate 3. And I feel like we would be the same way. Uh, so it's it's like, I, I want to get started, but I know that once we do, it could be like Tears of the Kingdom again for me. So I'm, yeah, we, I'm cautious. One could say we, we could get, you know, lulled into just playing it forever. That's true. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed. Yeah. It was a good pick. Thank you. No doubt. All right. So my last one. And I'm I'm guessing Pat will definitely have some more commentary for us on this one because <laughs> so psyched about it. It's it's inter- it's extremely interesting what happened with this. Um, so really, I picked the album on this one, Seventh Saga Soundtrack Composers Edition. Before I picked the song, <laughs> I just kind of said, I know I want the soundtrack represented, but I'll just pick a song I like from it because this was basically the composer. Um, reworking the original soundtrack just so it it could be released and enjoyed because Seventh Saga, along with several other, you know, games from the similar generation, um, didn't have a soundtrack. And so the the particular song I picked uh, is a character theme. And I, it's been so long, I hate to admit it, but I could not quite match up which character's uh, with their names but I'm excited because I ended up picking the mysterious robot from the future nice which is always great but soundtrack is just a cool mix of character themes and battle themes and they're they're all done extraordinarily well and Seven Saga to me has always had a pretty distinctive sound among you know Super Nintendo RPGs so Excited. I'm always excited to bring it on and not just the cello version that I brought on before. <laughs> I mean, that one was fantastic too, but I'm glad you did. I mean, you know, it's just not to rehash what you said too much, uh, but just the fact that this finally got a soundtrack, an album release, like 
you would never think it would even happen. Yeah, and that it's available both physical and digital. Right. Yes. They could have just been like, here it is on Spotify, but they're like, no, if you want a CD, like, we got it. Yeah, they did the full Bandcamp thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got the physical version. I'm very, yeah. very happy. It's a very bare bones arrangement of this song because I've played the Seven Saga more than, oh boy, most other people that I know. <laughs> um, but uh, like, 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 this is the song exactly as it is in game, but with uh, some of the musical soundscape is definitely more than what could have been done on the Super Nintendo hardware. Mm-hmm. Like just, just, just how rich those uh, the, the the bass and the percussion are. Like I don't know if it's a woodblock or claves or whatever, but you you can't get a nice echoing wood woody percussive sound on a Super Nintendo of that quality. But um, but but the the tones that carry the melody and the counter melody basically sound exactly <laughs> like they did on the super nintendo <laughs> very super nintendo mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah so so it's it's like it, it's this weird in between sound that's like it, it, it's half of it is like it's like it's like bleeps and bloops video game ass video game music but then it sort of crosses over and uses some sounds that are definitely recorded live or with very modern sophisticated hardware and uh like I mean, this is the comparison that people use for like Octopath Traveler or HD2D games. This game looks like you rem- you imagined uh, the old Super Nintendo games to look like. Like this sounds. This is like my memory of what uh, the Seventh Saga sounds like, but it's actually better and more sophisticated than the truth. I love that. Yeah, I mean, those a lot of those original soundtracks had to perform kind of some like slightly jazzy wizardry of like in implying like certain sounds or like certain mm-hmm. tones or things that so that you could kind of picture them without them fully being expressed because of the limitations of the hardware yeah i do love i do i, I always like that whether it's visually or musically or whatever like the mario rpg remake is another good example of that where like sometimes i, I go back and listen to compare because like some of it's just like well this is what i remember it sounded like before and, and it isn't it isn't always um but uh, it's really cool I, I like when that happens my favorite version of this is a, a very strange example but when they uh did a full remake including voice acting of the ducktales nes game yeah, um, DuckTales remastered yeah yeah, yeah ducktales remastered uh, like 10 or 15 years ago uh the the opening theme is the exact 8-bit bleeps and bloops uh, uh, of the original game, but then after maybe two or three measures, they bring in modern horns and modern percussion, and then it continues with the the sort of eight bit melody, still very bright and video gamey, but backed by a like a by a by a chamber orchestra. That's so good. It's, 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 it's like when they incorporate like video game bleeps and bloops with um with full orchestra or or modern hardware. You just love to see it, and uh, and this is what this is. This is a this is a full remastering that toes the line between a modern soundtrack and a 1990s soundtrack, and keeps the exact spirit of what a Super Nintendo game sounded like um, for a very unique niche game. Right. That doesn't look or sound like any other of its ilk. Like, I mean, how many other uh, Super Nintendo RPGs had a a mini map with vis- with visible enemies? as well as a uh, a pretty robust character choice or uh that's that has impact throughout the game 
oh, man, I that, I wish the Seven Saga was a bit more playable because it sometimes it is borderline impossible. But right uh, there, yeah, there are situations where like depending on which which characters you face off against in what order, like yep. some of them like border on impossible to beat and you have to restart the game. Yeah, it depends block. on the character matchup and also what level you're at, because the right. thing is the, your other rival characters increase in stats at a high, faster rate than you do. So if right. you over level too much, some fights are borderline impossible. Right, um, you can lock and, yourself out by you think you're grinding and it's a bad idea. <laughs> right, I yeah. was gonna say that like <laughs> you think you'll, you'll solve this by grinding. Nope. Right. No, you, you, the only time grinding really makes sense is at the near the very very end of the game when you don't have any more rival battles to fight. Mm-hmm. But the end game equipment is so expensive that I still couldn't buy everything <laughs> after eight, after eight hours of grinding <laughs> while holding down the tilde button on my emulator to make it go at double speed. And that's just in the. In the English version, right? Wasn't wasn't that the problem? Is that they they broke something during localization yes. in that scaling? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the, 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 it, it's. I think it's only the experience uh, and stat scaling that was busted in the English localization, but that's still hugely impactful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have. I am so glad that you brought this one, Hillary. I love. You know, I I, I keep a, a running mental list of old games that never had soundtracks right? properly published, and this has sort of been like a holy grail on the list for a very long time. Um, it's from the same studio uh, and same devs uh, within NX who made this game called Mystic Arc yeah. for the Super Nintendo that yeah. was Japanese only, but has like a uh, really good art, really good soundtrack. It was supposed and to be so- a sequel or was... Con- yeah, no, it, was, it was supposed to be a sequel about Lemiel, the, yes. uh, the the king at the beginning of the right. Seventh Saga, yes. who, uh, who who also features into the ending of the Seventh Saga. Spoilers for a game that's almost 30 years old. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's sort of loosely connected, yeah. But Se- Seventh Saga, which I think it was called Elnard in Japan, uh, is, is really a, a unique experience, and the music is, uh, yeah, very primitive. I think the the approach that the composer Norihiko Yamanuki took with this is very similar to one that um, that Hiroki Kikuta did when he released this sort of arranged, sort of not arranged album called Secret of Mana Genesis. Back oh. in like, I think it was like 08 or maybe like 2011, 2012, where the whole thing was, here's how it would sound if someone asked me to make the soundtrack today it's, it's essentially midis, it's sequence, but I don't have to worry about the compression of the Super Famicom. And I think that might be what Yamanuki did. Like he might've had old stems of his midi files and worked them with like modern sound sourcing I instead of- I think that's specifically mentioned. It. Like if you look at the Bandcamp that he, yeah, he I used think some of that. <laughs> I think that was the approach. And that's probably partially because if he tried to recreate it or even specifically just record the game audio. Uh, I suspect there's like some copyright crap with Enix, but uh, yeah, that's why it's the composer's edition. I think that's why he's able to release it in this form. And I'm, I'm just really glad he did. So this um, is Elnard Taylor's version. <laughs> is, that, that's exactly right. You're getting, yes. you're getting a, a way you avoid the, the copyright of the recording and the recording engineer by doing it yourself in a slightly different way. I am so, so glad we made that comparison. This is Norihiko's version yeah. of Seven Saga. So, and a, a few other people have done this. There's another one that I was looking at um, for a, an RPG that got a localization started, but then 
was dropped for Super Nintendo, and uh, it's a really cool RPG that uh, it's an action RPG that kind of plays like Zelda. Um, called it's French Nugier N E U G I E R, and so like that came out on CD and vinyl. Wait, N N I E G E R N E U G I E R Nugier. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, it came out in Japan in like 92 and then was almost going to make it to America. And then I think it could have been like a censorship thing with NOA. Um, Remember how (laughs) Nintendo of America didn't like religious themes or anything even close to sexual in their early 90s games. So that might have been it. Uh, I can't remember for that game if it was religious or if it had to do with... uh, sensual themes or if it was both but um really good music and so i'm always looking for this kind of stuff and i just part of me had given up i didn't think we were ever going to see a soundtrack for seven saga um and so i'm just extremely grateful like just as a preservationist and archivist that this soundtrack was published yeah i mean for every like koshiro you know who's able to release stuff with different names or like subvert some of these things there are so many other games that just are stuck. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I, yeah, I was elated about, about this one. I mean, you and I have talked about that a bunch with like illusion of Gaia. Yeah. Actually. And soul blazer, right? Did soul blazer get a soundtrack? No, soul blazer has a soundtrack. Uh, you will spend hundreds of dollars if you want it. Uh, soul blazer and Terranigma have it, but illusion of Gaia, they just, for whatever reason, didn't publish one. Maybe that's the, maybe that's what we'll see in 24. Because that's another that. one locked down by Enix. Well, maybe. Square Enix now. Maybe. <laughs> I, I, well, Do we I know? Think someone within Enix would have to be the rights holder. Yeah. I mean, you would think, but I never know what those, 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 those games, like those and Shadow, oh, Shadow Hearts are kind of weird. It's hard to say. Yeah. It's hard to say with Quintet uh, when the studio folded what happened to the rights of their music. I don't know. Well, yeah, with, with the, the owner or the CEO or whatever that like – just vanished every once every few years i look look up the wikipedia page and it's like you'll see a quote is like oh i don't know uh, he just kind of disappeared one day it's like that what the hell happened there that's insane I yeah know. it's a whole story yeah oh my gosh uh, all right well there we go that was our that was our music of the year um let's see housekeeping time so we have several games that made their debut on rhythm encounter with this episode uh first off we have baldur's gate 3 uh, Dave the Diver, Final Fantasy 16 of all things, and not to spoil our bonus track, but uh, Grand Blue Fantasy versus Rising, uh, Meg's Monster, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, Slay the Princess, and I don't know if it will come back one day, but Street Fighter 6. All right. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you did, because I, I know I did, uh, coming up next... Uh, we have some other stuff to look forward to, and we're doing the compilation of Final Fantasy VII episode on Rhythm Encounter. So basically anything in the Final Fantasy VII series slash universe is up for grabs in that one. So uh, I'm looking forward to doing that. And then after that, we're doing an episode called Level 1, or at least something along those lines. Uh, basically early game RPG music, like starting areas, starting town, that kind of thing. So I think that should be interesting as well. So if you have thoughts on this episode, you can reach the show and me at music at RPGfan.com. If you want to reach any of our hosts, uh, how can people reach you, Hillary? What's the best way? 
email and that's hillary a at rpgfan.com okay and so we'll see uh probably um either instagram or blue sky on on both of which i am at evoker for dogs nice and pat uh email's the best way pgan at rpgfan i'm also active on the site that i still call twitter uh handle is at gameadactyl that's the word game the letter o and dactyl good luck thank you and along with Rhythm Encounter, RPG Fan also has two other podcasts, Random Encounter and Retro Encounter. Uh, so Random Encounter is our podcast about you know current stuff on the website, news, reviews, features. So I we're recording this far enough in advance, I actually can't tell you what's on Random Encounter, but I'll just tell you to go check it out. Um, they post every other Monday. Uh, Retro Encounter posts every week. Uh, Retro Encounter recently finished their game journal on moon which um, i'm very excited to listen to and play um and even more exciting than that is you guys just did your episode 400 which is just a huge huge milestone so uh, but you know solosi's here so i'm actually gonna let you talk about retro encounter for a minute sure um unlike random encounter we plan things out way far in advance so uh yeah we, we uh have the next um month or so planned out we're doing um an episode on unpopular RPG opinions, an episode that's a new uh, um, fantasy draft episode that's too uh, difficult to explain in, in this small amount of time, and uh, one episode about Kazuma Kiryu from the Like a Dragon series, and then two episodes about Dragon Quest XI Echoes of an Elusive Age. Okay. This is the only Feb- uh, February of my entire lifetime that has five Thursdays in it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a great lineup, though. It's almost like there's a theme going on there. Yeah, the uh, Lunar New Year of the Dragon begins on uh, something like February 9th or 10th. Uh, So starting in mid-February, we're going to have, I think, five or six dragon-themed episodes in a row. Yeah, excellent. that's awesome. I love that you're doing that. When I hear you say Lunar and Dragon, I'm like, hey, maybe you do an episode on Lunar Dragon Song. No. The worst of the Lunar Games. You know, we we posted all those retro reviews of Lunar, and you know which one was not included in there? I noticed. Yes. Lunar was, Magic School. <laughs> that that also wasn't there. No. Um, okay. Well, you can also follow RPG Fan on social media. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, uh, the site formerly known as Twitter. Uh, we are also on Twitch and YouTube and Discord. So you'll find links to that stuff in our show notes and, on, of course, on our website. I don't actually know what happened with my notes here because there should have been something about the shop. Uh, RPG Fan also has a shop. Uh, well, technically, we have two shops right now. So if you go to RPGFan.com slash shop, you can get to our merch shop that we've had for a few years. You can get T-shirts and mugs and stuff like that. But you can also check out our review card collection book. It's a 300-page printed book of our review cards that we post on Instagram. Uh, it's really exciting. Um, I know the coolest that, coffee table book you can have. Yeah. I, I just love paging through it. I know all the staff that, that has them has been really enjoying it. We actually got uh, an email from uh, a fan a couple days ago uh, just saying that they're looking forward to volume two, which will happen one day. But uh, I'm just I'm really happy that, that how it turned out and that people are enjoying it. So, yeah, again, you can check that out at rpgfan.com slash shop. Uh, if you enjoy the show, you can review us on Apple Podcasts and not Google podcasts anymore, uh, YouTube, you know, where, wherever you listen, if you want to leave us a review, subscribe, whatever, uh, we would appreciate that. 
So closing out today, we have one more bonus track from Derek Hinesbergen, the other founder of Retro, the other founder of Rhythm Encounter. So uh, Derek has definitely been on a big Grand Blue Fantasy kick lately, uh, probably maybe fueled by uh, Relink coming out soon. But uh, Derek wanted us to play the main theme from the new fighting game in the series, Grand Blue Fantasy versus Rising. Um, and he sent me a little bit here to read. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read Derek's thing here, and then we'll, we'll cut over the music. So Derek said, uh, We gorged on quality games throughout 2023. At the tail end of the year came a final digestive, one not squarely in the RPG camp, but straddling it with foot firmly planted and hand on hilt. Competitive fighter Grand Blue Fantasy versus Rising pulls from a well of lore 10 years deep, and its waters are as cool as the skies are blue. Boy, Derek's a good writer, huh? The, the browser-based gotcha from which it stems is a tough sell in 2024, but Versus Rising has nonetheless inspired me to dig into an absurdly far-reaching world of fantasy that has seized my attention for weeks and refused to let go. Boot up the game and you'll be greeted by its rousing main theme, which I've selected for you to hear today. May it whisk you away to the cerulean skies of adventure. <laughs> All right, so we're going to close out with the main theme from Grand Blue Fantasy versus Rising. Um, all of you, like, thank you for being here and making this episode so much fun. Um, I enjoyed talking to all of you and hearing everyone's picks. And thank you, everyone, for listening as well. Thank you. Uh, I'm expecting those Cerulean Skies of Adventure, Derek. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get it. <laughs> so now, now we got to go work on our our written feature for Music of the Year. So let's uh, let's go do that. Let's go finish that tonight. Oh, I don't know about that. I have five <laughs> more podcasts to record this week. Okay, okay. Maybe tomorrow then. But again, thank you, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. Bye.
Ryu's is great. Ryu's is like, wow, why why is Ryo getting like a funky horn section? And is, I and, know, and it's, but but it's like, oh, it's because he feels free for the first time in his life. Aww. And, he, does, and he, he doesn't have the evil Ryu, Kage Ryu, like Dark Hado haunting him because he couldn't beat Akuma. Now now it's he's cast that away, and he's a an older, gentler Ryu. He kind of reminds me. It, it's kind of a similar vibe to like phoenix right in the second trilogy where he's not oh, yeah. the star he's sort of like chilling out and the mentor but wants to make sure everything's still okay yeah but it's, it's a little weird he kind of reverts to old phoenix in the fifth and sixth games yeah he, he does like, he, think, yeah like, like yeah. but but like but hobo chill phoenix in ace attorney 4 <laughs> is um <laughs> yes. is is yes. very is is very entertaining I, I i'm sort of but then like when you start controlling him and the other ones like oh well, this is the this is the extremely anxious, high-strung Phoenix we're used to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's true, yeah. 